Turn your Bibles, if you will. We're going to start off in Ephesians chapter 4. Book of Ephesians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, quick question. How do mathematicians apologize? They subtract the mistakes and they add forgiveness. How mathematicians apologize. You have to remember that one, Charlie. Amen. Over the past couple weeks, we've laid the foundation for forgiveness. And last week, we we took the time to outline what forgiveness is not. So again, we're talking about true forgiveness. Not the half-hearted forgiveness that we, you know, normally offer. We are talking about true forgiveness, the forgiveness that God intended. Amen? Let's look in Ephesians chapter 4, start reading at verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So this morning, I want us to consider what true forgiveness really is, kind of get at the heart of forgiveness the way God intended it. And the first thing I want us to see is that forgiveness is being fully aware of what has been done to you, and yet still forgiving that person. Amen? It's being fully aware See, forgiveness can never occur if we are in denial. Forgiveness can never occur if we're in avoidance of what someone did to us. It can only happen when we fully acknowledge what has been done to us, and yet we still refuse to make that person pay for what they did. Amen? That is the heart of forgiveness. True forgiveness, we, we, you know, I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm not going to candy coat it. True forgiveness is very painful, and it's very difficult. It stings when we kiss revenge goodbye, doesn't it? It hurts. It's hard to accept that that person is going to get away with what they did to us. Or what they did to someone that we love. And nobody else will ever find out. Because that's complete forgiveness. However, it's in that knowing that healing comes. When we know, when we completely accept it in our hearts, that they will, ne- that they will not be punished, but actually they'll be blessed. That's when we are transformed. That's when we are conformed into the image of our precious Lord and Savior. Amen? And that is our daily goal, isn't it? To be transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. It's then that we walk in the spiritual realm. True forgiveness is painful. True forgiveness is difficult. Just ask our precious Lord and Savior. Amen? Secondly, true forgiveness is also not choosing to keep a record 
Or you can word it choosing not to keep a record. Amen? True forgiveness does not keep a record. In that great chapter on love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Bible tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs. Amen? God tells us that, that love, true love, keeps no record of wrongs. So why do we? Right? Don't we have that habit of keeping a record of wrongs? We keep it right in our top pocket. Amen? Why do we keep track of all the times that we've been offended? Why do we keep track of all the times that we've been hurt? The answer is simple. Why? So that we can use them against that person. We keep track. We keep that record so that we can bring it back up to hurt that person in return. Amen? That's the truth of it. It's so we can prove what happened to us. So that when we tell everybody what someone did, we can prove what they did to us. We have that record. We keep track of every little thing they did. That's the heart of it. Way too many marriages in all the years, the 20 plus years that I've done marriage counseling, way too many marriages are broken from pointed fingers. Amen? Too many marriages are broken because of pointed fingers. In anger, we blurt out, I'm going to remember that, don't we? I'll remember that. I'll remember what you said, what you did. Listen, the blame game has been an issue all the way back into the Garden of Eden. Amen? When God confronted Adam and Eve, what did Adam say? God, it's your fault. It's the woman that you gave me. Right? First he blamed Eve. She did it. And then he blamed God for giving him Eve. The blame game all the way back to the beginning. It was the woman that you gave to me. And we've all been doing it ever since. Amen? We're all guilty of it. But pointing fingers... All that does is harbor bitterness and anger. Bottom line, it's all of it does is to harbor bitterness and anger. It keeps us in bondage. Okay, you catching that? It keeps us in bondage and out of fellowship with God. That's all it does. Amen? Isaiah chapter uh, 58. Skipping down to verse 9, looking at verse 9. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, and the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness. Did you see that if-then clause? God says, when you cry, I will answer. I will be there if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, that's the blame game, and speaking wickedness. Amen? So when we harbor that anger, when we point fingers, we are keeping ourselves in bondage and we're putting ourselves out of fellowship with God. 
Amen? Love is a choice. We all agree? You know, we have the freedom in this great nation to pick and choose the person that we fall in love with. Love is a choice, and so is forgiveness. Amen? So is forgiveness. It's not a feeling that comes out of emotion. It's a purposeful act that comes from your heart. That's what forgiveness is. It's choosing to, you know, tear up that record of wrongs that we've been keeping. It's choosing to do that. We clearly see, we clearly acknowledge what's been done to us, but we erase We completely destroy that record before it becomes rooted in our heart. Amen? Because if we carry that record around too long, what's going to happen? It's going to stay in our heart with that bitterness and that anger and that malice. So we need to tear it up immediately so that it doesn't, you know, never allow that bitterness, that resentment to take hold, to establish roots in our heart and to grow. We have to tear it up before it gets to that point. And when we do, when we continue to to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh, when we tear up that record as quickly as it comes in, when we stop pointing those fingers, when we choose to forgive time and time again, over time forgiveness will just become part of who we are. Amen? That's when we conform into the image of Christ because that's who he is. We begin to automatically erase the wrong rather than filing it away in the back of our minds. Not only do we you know, set ourselves free from that crippling weight and that anger and bitterness, but forgiveness will soon become second nature to us. And it'll no longer be a choice. It will just happen. It'll just overflow from our hearts. Amen? Third, forgiveness is also refusing to punish that person who hurt us or that person who hurt the ones we love. Refusing to punish giving up our desire to see them get what's coming to them, right? Isn't that what we really want? Isn't that what the flesh wants? But giving that up is the essence. That is the heart of complete forgiveness. Our flesh, our old nature, our human nature cannot bear the thought that the one that hurt us so deeply would get away with what they've done to us. We demand and we cry out, we say it's unfair. They have to be punished. They deserve to be punished. Where does that come from? That comes from fear. Amen? We need to acknowledge that. That comes from fear. It's the fear that they won't get punished They won't get what's coming to them. And that fear is the opposite of true love. Amen? 
God tells us and explains us that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Listen to what he says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You see, when we cling to that desire to see our enemies punished for what they did, we will quickly lose the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because we're no longer walking after the Spirit, we're walking after the flesh. And we will quickly quench the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. But when we allow the love of Christ, when we allow that love of Christ to enter in, what happens? When love enters in, the desire for punishment does what? It goes out. It goes away. I want you to understand that forgiveness is refusing to cave into the fear that the person won't get the punishment that we believe they deserve. Amen? Did you catch that? Forgiveness is refusing to cave into the fear that that person won't get the punishment that we believe they deserve. When we fail to forgive, and we fear that God won't give them what they deserve, because isn't that what it boils down to? The Bible makes it clear that vengeance is whose? Is God's. But when we take it upon ourselves and say, well, you know, they need to be punished here and now, that what we're saying is that we're fearing that God won't punish them. Amen? That's the heart of it. But in reality, what we are doing is that we are trespassing on God's divine territory. You catch that? We are trespassing on God's divine territory. God does not like it when we try to be him. Amen? God does not like it when we try to be God. Vindication and vengeance is God's prerogative and his alone. Amen? God never says, vengeance is mine, except when you do it, does he? It's always God's, and God's alone. Gospel of Luke, chapter 32. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Vengeance is mine and recompense, says the Lord. Not only do we read it in the Old Testament, but God also repeats it twice in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 12 and, and also in Hebrews chapter 10. Vengeance is mine and recompense. God wants us to hear that loud and clear. God does not need our help. God does not want our help in vengeance. Amen? Do we understand that? He doesn't need it, and he doesn't want it. Vengeance is his and his alone. Why? Because you and I, we cannot issue divine vengeance or true justice. We as sinners, 
Even if we are born again, we are still sinners. We're just sinners saved by grace. Amen? Because we still have, we're wrapped in our flesh, our old nature. We are incapable of divine vengeance or true justice. That's why God does not need our help, amen, or want our help. We're incapable. Because the only thing that we can do is fulfill our personal grudge and vendetta. That's all we would be doing. Amen? That moment that we are hurt, we need to slow down, we need to stop, and we need to ask ourselves this question. How much of what I'm about to say or do, all right, catch that? How much of what I'm about to say or do is really an attempt to punish or get revenge? That needs to be the first question that we ask the moment that we're hurt, amen? And keep asking that question for the next few days, few weeks, as long as it takes. You see, if punishment or revenge is the motive, we have to stop immediately. Zip our mouth. Stop whatever we were doing. Because we're about to play God and grieve His Holy Spirit. Amen? Fourth thing. Forgiveness is also not telling anyone what someone did to us. This is a hard one, isn't it? It's not telling anyone what someone did to us or or someone that we love. You see, if we truly forgive someone, then we don't gossip about that person that hurt us. When we tell others about how we've been hurt, what's our true motive? It's really just to hurt back, isn't it? It's simply to hurt back. We want to hurt that person's reputation. We want to, you know, hurt their credibility. We want others to look down upon them for what they did. We just, bottom line, we want them to be punished for what they did to us. Now, again, I want to draw a fine line there that there is always that exception when it comes to a crime like abuse or rape. Amen? In those cases, we have a responsibility to tell someone what happened. We have a responsibility to tell the authorities what happened. Amen? Because that offender needs to be taken off the street. They need to be removed so that they can't hurt someone else. So I want to make sure we understand that. However, most of us, we don't talk about what happened for legal or therapeutic reasons, do we? We talk about it for revenge. We talk about it to hurt that person. We want to we damage that offender's name. We want others to shun them. We, we want others to look downly upon them. We want revenge. But again, all we're doing is we are impeding on God's divine territory. Amen? Vengeance is God's territory. We have to remember that in true forgiveness, 
in forgiving others the same way that God has forgiven us because that's true forgiveness. Forgiving others the same way that God has forgiven us. That means that we don't, we don't punish them because God doesn't punish us when we're forgiven. And nobody will ever know what they did. Why? Because as a born-again believer, all of our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. Covered completely. Amen? Never ever be exposed. They will never ever be revealed. They will never be held against us ever again. That's what it means that our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. So if we gossip about what someone did to us, what we are doing is we are ignoring all that God has done for us, aren't we? When we tell on our offender, the bottom line, we are showing contempt for our own forgiveness. We catch that? When we tell what someone did to us, we are in contempt of our own forgiveness because God never would against us. Amen? And praise God for that. I don't want my mom knowing what I did. Right, Mom? Amen. But we don't want to be in contempt for our own forgiveness ever. The last thing about forgiveness today that we want to establish Forgiveness is showing and offering mercy. Matthew 5, 7. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Why? For they shall obtain what? Mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Forgiveness is showing and offering mercy. Mercy. See, there's two important aspects of God's character. One is that he is merciful, and two, he is just. Now, these are hard for us to bring together. You understand that? He's merciful, but at the same time, he's just. Because he is merciful, he does not want to punish us for our sins. However... He is also just, isn't he? And what does justice demand? Justice demands punishment for sins. So how does God reconcile the two? How does God, who was merciful, he doesn't want to punish us, but he's also just, which demands punishment. How does he reconcile the two? Well, we have to go to Isaiah chapter 53 to see it in full color. How does he resolve this dilemma for us sinners? Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all sinned. We've all turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Praise God for Christ. Amen. He 
is the answer to our dilemma. It's really God's dilemma, but we're stuck in the middle, aren't we? Between God's mercy and his justice. And standing in that gap is our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one that took our punishment for our sins. The just for the unjust. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our place on Calvary's cross. And because he did, God can now extend his mercy to us. Amen? We in turn must do the same. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Remember, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now look what he says in the Gospel of Luke. He said, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. What is mercy, by the way? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Amen? Mercy is not getting what we deserve, which is God's judgment. We deserve that because of our sins. The wages of sin is death. But God's mercy is us not getting that judgment. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. Amen? And that's God's favor. When we show mercy, we're holding back judgment upon that one who hurt us. Amen? In turn, we receive what? Mercy. Amen? When we forgive, we're offering mercy. We're holding back judgment upon that person that hurt us, and God has promised us in return mercy. Plain and simple. Jesus, again, he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17. The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. I want to just close with this point. Now, throughout the Bible... We are called to be godly. Amen? As I said, our, our daily goal is to be transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. We are called to be godly. But we also have to understand that we cannot be godlike in every sense, can we? For instance, we cannot know all things like God because we are not what? We are not omniscient. We also cannot be everywhere at the same time as God because we're not omnipresent. So we have to understand that we're called to be godly, but we can't be godly in every single sense. Another aspect of that is that we cannot carry out vengeance or punishment like God. Why? Because we are not righteous or just. Amen? We're not righteous or just. But God has given us his Holy Spirit. Amen? 
and He inside of us, God's Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, provides us with certain godly attributes. We know these as the fruits of the Spirit. These are the fruits of God's Holy Spirit that abides in us. We know that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all the fruits of God's Holy Spirit. And it's in those fruits of the Holy Spirit that we are to emulate God. We are to be godly in those fruits of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Love, joy, patience, forgiveness. Amen? That is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you.